Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. They even have great same-game parlays. Like in the Celtics-Knicks game, you can get the Celtics money line, Tatum over 26.5 points, Jalen Brown over 22.5 points. That's at plus 258 odds in the Bucks bulls game. You can get Bucks money line, Giannis over 28.5 points, and Dame over 5.5 assists at plus 252 odds. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. 
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. Well, in case you missed it earlier today, me and Jovan Buha went for about an hour on the Lakers. I did say in that video that I was going to do a update on the Clippers, who are 0-4 since the Harden trade, and then a power rankings video. But my crazy ass can't do a power rankings video without doing like a deep dive on every team. So I got through like five of the teams, and then it's already 5 o'clock local time, and I'm supposed to be going to a Friendsgiving thing tonight. So we're going to run the entirety of the power rankings video tomorrow. I'm going to be hitting on 10 teams and a good amount of detail. I just didn't have enough time to get through that today. So in this video, we're just going to do a deep dive on the Clippers in their 0-4 start in the James Harden era. And then I have four mailbag questions as well for the end of the show that we'll hit that are going to allow us to bounce around to a couple of different topics. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel in case you uh, didn't realize... <clears throat> We have uh, moved over away from the volumes feed. The volumes feed is now the Colin Cowherd feed just for him and all the shows are now on their own channel. So as we try to get this thing off the ground, it would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcast under hoops tonight. My Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT. That's where I post show announcements and I post video as I'm going through my film sessions every morning. And then last but not least, Keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can hit them at the end of these shows. All right, let's talk some basketball. So the Clippers are 0-4 since the Harden trade. Compared to all other NBA teams in their last four games, they are 28th in offense, 25th in defense, and 27th in net rating. So basically terrible at everything. They are also only securing 64% of available defensive rebounds, which ranks 28th in the league over that span. We're going to spend a good amount of time talking about rebounding here later on because the Clippers are more, in a le- more or less the same construct as they used to be. And they were a great rebounding team, but you're seeing the difference between having rangy wings all over the floor when it comes to grabbing rebounds and having guards that aren't necessarily as dialed into the dirty work and how quickly that can kind of turn things in the wrong direction. But, you know, what's interesting is I, I, I pulled up the video this morning because, as you guys know, like I'm, I'm, I'm covering all these different teams and I'm doing deep dives on teams and I'll watch two, three games at a, at a, uh, in a sitting and I haven't had a chance to really, uh, to really check in on the Clippers yet. And so this morning I went back and I watched the Clippers and I'm expecting this like total shit show of James Harden and Russell Westbrook mistakes kind of driving the issues that they're having. And that could not have been further from the case. It's not to say that there are issues with Russell Westbrook and and James Harden. We're going to discuss those. But really, like there are some guys in-house that just aren't playing very good basketball right now. And so I think it's important to differentiate between those two things. Why are the Clippers 0-4 in their last four games? And was the James Harden trade a terrible idea that submarined their season? Those are like two kind of different topics in my opinion. So let's start with why are the Clippers 0-4 in their last four games? Their stars are playing like shit. And they can't secure a defensive rebound to save their lives. Kawhi Leonard was bad again against the Grizzlies. In this four-game span, he's averaging 19 points per game on 46% shooting, 30% from three. Now, it doesn't sound terrible, but compared to star Kawhi, not very good, right? And certainly not near as efficient as you're expected to seeing from him. And honestly, when I watch him on tape, he looks a little like stuck in the mud right now. He's not getting great lift on his jump shots. He's not getting great separation, not really getting to his spots as well as he usually does. I'm not sure if he's dealing with a nagging injury or if it's related to rhythm or just a random down patch in his athleticism or what the deal is. 
He doesn't look very good. Paul George in the last four games, 17 points per game on 34% from the field, 23% from three, and is averaging more turnovers than assists. So, like, at the end of the day, what do I always say about the Lakers, right? Like, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't playing well, it's impossible for role players to kind of make up for that around them, right? You know what I mean? Like, regardless of what James Harden does or what Russell Westbrook does or any specific role players do, if your two best players are playing like shit, you're going to have a really hard time winning basketball games. And right now, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are not playing well. And then the second part is the uh, a defensive rebounding part. And we're going to get to the to the offense in a little bit because, like again, there's, there's a case to be made that why are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard not playing well? Well, maybe the rhythm of the offense is thrown off. Now you've added this super complicated piece in James Harden that kind of changes the dynamic of everything. And the answer to that is, like you usually get from me, a little bit of both, right? Like it's some of it is the new guys, some of it is rhythm, and some of it is... Those two guys just aren't playing well either. And like I said, Kawhi doesn't look particularly explosive right now. So again, we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But that's not the only part of it. The other half of it is essentially the Zubak problem. And it really just has to do with overall roster size, but it kind of starts with Zubak. So obviously, Plumlee gets hurt. And now Musa Diabate is getting your backup center minutes. And he's a borderline, you know, he's a guy that you don't want to have in your rotation if you're a serious basketball team, right? But the other half of it is the Zubak piece, right? Ty Lu insists on going small a lot of the time. Why? Because Zubak is one of many centers in the league that is a guy that can eat some regular season innings, but when push comes to shove, you can't necessarily have him on the floor because it's easy enough to space him out and uh, on one end of the floor and drive by him, and then on the offensive end of the floor, it can kind of cause problems for your spacing. And Tyloo has shown us over the years, he wants to go down with small ball. He wants to space you out. He wants to pick you apart with drive and kick basketball. He wants to switch everything and fly around with ball pressure on defense. And that's more often than not the the strategy he's going to fall back on when things are going bad. Even in get against Memphis, when things were going bad, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, we're going small and we're just going to switch everything and apply a ton of ball pressure and run it down your throat and transition. Like that was the way they got back into the game against Memphis. But there's a huge difference between this version of that small ball lineup and what we saw in the past. Like, you keep forgetting that it was usually a small ball lineup that had Kawhi and Paul George alongside Nick Batum, another six foot eight guy who could uh, grab long rebounds and could defend on the perimeter, right? Marcus Morris last year, not Marcus Morris has gotten a lot older, but last year was another big body that was out there in a lot of those groups. The Clippers are small now outside of their core two guys. Like non-center, so we got to take Musa Diabate and Ivica Zubak out of the equation and we take Kawhi and Paul George out of the equation, here are the other four guys who played minutes for the Grizzlies last night, or for against the Grizzlies last night. James Harden, who's 6'5", Russell Westbrook, who's 6'3", Terrence Mann, who's 6'5", and Norman Powell, who's 6'3". So now these small ball lineups are like preposterously small. We're talking three guys 6'5 or smaller, and then Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, right? And it's funny because you're even seeing Kawhi and Paul George struggle physically because they keep getting matched up with gigantic players in the front court that otherwise you'd have a Marcus Morris matched up with, right? Otherwise you'd have a bigger, more athletic forward matched up with, right? And so um, that was kind of where that, like even that Kenyon Martin Jr. piece, when he was uh, included in the Sixers deal, you're like, man, that's another front court athlete that the Clippers let out the door in this deal, in addition to all the draft compensation and stuff. And like, again, down the stretch, 
the Clippers got a lot of stops against Memphis. But there was, you know, what was it, 98-98 after the corner three from James Harden in the right corner. And the Clippers go down and get another stop. But uh, um, you ended up with uh, uh, you end up with Norman Powell in a, in a switch on Bismack Biombo underneath the basket. And he tries to box him out and commits a foul because he's dead to rights underneath the basket. And and Biombo's going to end up getting that and putting it back up and in, right? It, like it, When push comes to shove, they are struggling on the defensive glass because of the aggregate size of those groups. Again, in this four-game sample, they're securing just 64% of defensive rebounds. They gave up 21 second-chance points to the, uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies. So part of the issue here is like you don't trust your centers to play but you don't have the aggregate size to play small. And that puts them in a real predicament. And that kind of brings you back to the crux of, of the James Harden trade and, and, and the kind of predicament it puts you in. Because again, like what would you, you had this, you had assets, right? Cause you had what two first round picks, a first round pick swap and two second round picks that you included in the James Harden trade. Right? So you threw a lot of draft compensation at this deal including your front court depth, right? So you gave up your front court depth and all your draft compensation. Now, the cl- counterpoint for the Clippers is like, you know, Nick Batum was kind of on his last legs. Marcus Morris was like literally done. Rocco is literally done. You know, uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. wasn't really getting that many minutes for us. So we don't, uh, we don't really need those guys. And, and I understand that. I understand the thought process there. But why aren't you then trying to upgrade those guys? If those guys are important parts of your ability to contend in your small ball units, and now they're outdated and not doing the job for you, which I would argue Nick Batum was fine, at least in the terms of the regular season, right? And I certainly don't think he was an issue. Even if you were like, I want to upgrade Marcus Morris, go upgrade Marcus Morris. Go find another big athletic forward or maybe a center that Ty trusts to play at the end of games. But instead, you gave up everything you had in the front court for a redundancy, another offensive-minded shot creator on a team that like never really had offensive issues when push came to shove, right? When we look at it, yes, in the bubble, it was a catastrophe. They completely crumbled and fell apart offensively against the Nuggets and got picked apart on defense. It was bad in that series. But outside of that, in the four years since, it's either been injuries... Or, you know, uh, the offense looking fine in spite of that, right? So, essentially, 2021, they looked great. And then Kawhi got hurt, and then they still looked great. Spacing teams out, switching, defending, doing all those things. Paul George leads them to within two wins of the finals, right? Then injuries submarine you in 2022, right? 2023, they look great. They're about to, they're, they're literally on, on the verge of taking a 2-0 lead against the, the Suns in game two when Kawhi Leonard gets hurt. So like, again, like they were, everything was fine offensively in, in the last few years, it was injuries that kept submarining you. And what you did is you kind of like mischaracterized the problem as a superstar depth problem. When the reality is, is you can't win when Kawhi gets hurt anyway. So you have to build the roster around the idea that Kawhi is going to be healthy. And, and just hoping that he's healthy when it matters, and then you have the rest of the things to push you over the top. Instead, they went a different direction. They gave up all their front court depth for a redundancy in the backcourt, and so now they look bad. But here's the thing. They will get better. They will have better offensive stretches than what they've shown in the last four days. There's too much talent there. They're going to figure some things out. We got to see a little bit of the James Harden, Kawhi Leonard pick and roll in the in the second quarter of this Grizzlies game. There was uh, um, 
there, or I guess it was in the first quarter, if I remember correctly. But like they they ran that uh, same picking kind of like soft roll to 15 feet that he used to run with Embiid all the time, and he set Kawhi Leonard up with the wide open jumper on the left side. And honestly, the chemistry was a little off because he threw the bounce pass a little too far ahead of him. Like they'll get better at that in time. There was another one on the right wing where Kawhi popped to the three point line, but Kawhi didn't set a very good screen because he hasn't done a lot of screen setting in his career. So like again, he'll get better at that, and they'll figure that stuff out. Like. Kawhi, the Kawhi uh, James Harden pick and roll is going to be something that they have some success with. Obviously, they've had a lot of offensive success with Russell Westbrook and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. There's going to be more lineups like that where they kind of put those three together with James off the floor and let him go to work. They basically did that through the entire middle of the fourth quarter against Memphis. So, like, they're going to be better on the offensive end of the floor. There are good times that will come from this over the course of this regular season. The, the problem is, is like those other issues, the issues defensively and on the glass, those aren't going away. And those will eventually have to be rectified if this team has any hope of winning a championship, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't trust Zubak and you aren't big enough on the front line to go small. And that puts you in a really tough position. And you just burned all your draft capital going after James Harden, which handcuffs your ability to make a trade at the deadline relative to what you would have been able to do otherwise. And again, like I, I, if you're if you're saying to me like, oh, it's because we can't trust Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, so we needed a, a better guard to play in that spot. Okay, fine. But then how how is this the way you went about it? Bringing Russ back, having him run the team, then bringing James in. All the problems that come from that. James checks in for Russell Westbrook in the final two minutes yesterday, and Russ like like basically pouts on the bench with the towel over his head and won't even celebrate when James Harden makes a three in the corner right in front of him to tie the game. Like you you just jumbled up all of that stuff too with the, with the chemistry. So it, it was it's a it's a confusing it was a really confusing team building method for them to, to target. And I think this is the latest in a long line of examples from the Nets with the KD Harden and Kyrie to the, uh, to even the sun so far this year to the Clippers uh, in this post James Harden trade experiment. Like when you load up on stars, there is a diminishing return. That first star brings full star value. That second star brings full star value. That third star it's usually a diminishing return. That fourth star, the bottom can fall out in a lot of cases. If you guys have been listening to this show for the you know year and a half or whatever I've been with the volume or longer since before I started with the volume, you hear a pretty consistent theme from me. There's a list of responsibilities on the basketball court. Stars fill different responsibilities than role players typically do. And when you load up on stars, you start to have overlap and redundancy. Whereas when you have stars that take the the two main you know star responsibilities and then you have professional role players who do nothing but learn how to win games or help win teams win games alongside stars. When you have those guys out there, that's when that meter gets full and you start to rack up wins. It's when you get cute and you start to try to think about the names rather than the, uh, the, the compatibility of the roster that you start to have problems. I do believe Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George will find a way to win a good amount of basketball games this year in the regular season just by virtue of their talent. But the fact remains they don't trust any of their centers and they can't play Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at the four and five. They're way too damn small. And so they, uh, there's a significant roster need that they, that they opened up 
or exacerbated with the James Harden trade. And the player they got back, they're getting a diminished return from because of the fact that they already have two superstars and they already had a guard that could help get them set up in better positions. So it's definitely off to a rough start. It's definitely going to get better, but I do think that this this um, recent sequence has been a great, you know, kind of expression of the of the reality of the roster's limitations in the front court and I don't think that they're going to be fixed anytime soon and I don't think that there's a veteran minimum guy that can solve this problem or a buyout candidate I mean maybe they get lucky but things look pretty rough right now for the Clippers it's the Kia summer sticker sales event so give your friends something to look at like a B&B with an ocean view an endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. All right, moving on to the mailbag. Uh, I got four questions for you guys today. First one, what teams do you think could benefit from a player like D'Lo and would also give the Lakers a player in return that's more fitting? So again, like uh, we talked about this a little bit with Jovan Buha earlier today, but D'Angelo Russell is a good basketball player. He is just a redundancy on the Lakers, right? In the same way that you have two stars in LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves is like this skill guard that's not a top-tier athlete. Well, you have another skill guard who's not a top-tier athlete next to him, and so their backcourt is like, if you just took those winning responsibilities and you shrunk it down to just what the backcourt is responsible to, they have a uh, a redundancy there, and that's their issue, right? But D'Angelo Russell is a good player, especially within the context of the regular season. So how would you make him work in a vacuum? You want to put him alongside lots of great athletes, right? And a team that would need his high-level shot creation. uh, D'Angelo Russell is a very, very good passer in pick and roll, especially in the regular season when things are a little more fast and loose. He's pretty consistently been a, uh, a good playmaker for the Lakers in terms of like assist to turnover ratio and things like that. So the four teams I wrote down were like the Toronto Raptors, a team that has a ton of athleticism but lacks shot creation. The Orlando Magic, a team that has a ton of size and athleticism, but their guards are a little bit inconsistent creating shots, right? Um, the Memphis Grizzlies, another team that could really use another shot creator, so uh, they have a better chance of, of, of succeeding when Desmond Bain is off the floor. The New York Knicks is another team I put down that um, that it has a ton of point of attack defense and size and athleticism and maybe could use one more shot creator on the floor 
you know, so, so that, you know, it's not just Emmanuel quickly by himself trying to create shots in the bench unit, if that makes sense. So those are four examples. Uh, next mailbag question. I know you've forecasted that Jonathan Kaminga will be a star in the NBA. I was curious as to how you can tell. As a Dubs fan, I see his insane athleticism plus work ethic, but I also don't know how guaranteed, barring injury, that he reaches start, superstardom. The, the stardom, I should say. The main thing that I'm looking at with Jonathan Kaminga is that people can't guard him without fouling him. It's literally that simple. He had another um, uh, two big free throw games over the weekend. He is averaging, I want to say, nine free throw attempts per 36 minutes in this, what's his third season, if I remember correctly. So like that, that to me is a strong indicator of like consistently getting defenders out of position. From there, it's basically a combination of your ability to actually make shots and your ability to see the floor. And he's demonstrated through, through these three years a steady line of improvement in shot making and a steady line of improvement in decision making. Still has a long way to go on the decision making side. I think he's probably a solid you know, three, four years away from truly reaching any sort of fringe star type of level. But he's such a good athlete. He has such good size. And you can see that with every time he makes a movie, he has defenders out of position and they start hacking him. And he's getting to the line a ton. And I think that's a really strong indicator of like his ability to get to his spots and get defenders out of position. And then again, there's enough progress in terms of his shot making and decision making over this young stretch of his career. Like again, he's still just a kid relative to the rest of the league. Imagine this kid at 26, 27 years old when he has the, you know, when he's seen 300 NBA games worth of, of, uh, of you know defenses loaded up on him and facing double teams in the post he's I, I don't have the numbers in front of me but he's still up over 1.2 points per possession in post-ups this year including passes that to me is a strong indicator of of just how difficult it is to to handle him down there it's like he's making a lot of mistakes down there but he's still hitting shots and drawing fouls and that's pushing him into productivity and so uh, the the Warriors have trusted him a lot especially at the end of games compared to where he was in previous years I think there's plenty there from Jonathan Kaminga that demonstrates again not nine free throw attempts for 36 minutes is insane and it's not like foul grifty stuff he's straight up just getting defenders out of position all right uh third question Jason could you give your thoughts on Adam Silver's disappointment in NBA commentary and how he wishes it was covered how he wishes it covered more X's and O's also do you have a favorite NBA commentator so uh for those of you guys who missed it Adam Silver went on with JJ Redick and he basically was like he's sick of the whole like one team tried harder type of of commentary and it's tough because like Effort is a significant factor in NBA regular season games. It just is. There's it, it, over the course of 82, there are nights where like one team just is just locked in and the other team's not. We I refer to it through force, right? Like a team, a player playing with more force goes a long way towards him holding up better at the point of attack, holding up better at the glass. Uh, his ability to beat people off the dribble. All of that is kind of related to the overall force you play with. And that can ebb and flow, right? Like Austin Reeves playing with tons of force like he did last year. Uh, Average to above average defender. Certainly not a negative defender. Someone that held up well in the Lakers scheme. This year, not playing with much force on the defensive end or on the glass. He's been like a problem defensively and on the glass. So you can see like that stuff does matter. However, that's only one small part of the equation. The other part of the equation is like how naturally basketball players fit together, like different, you know, uh, good offensive process versus bad offensive process, the chess match that takes place at the end of games. And I think, you know, maybe I'm, I'm biased because I'm a, a nut job with this stuff, but like I, I find that to be incredibly fascinating. And, and I think that 
I think that there's a lot in the fan experience that could be improved by making it easier for fans to understand some of the more detailed things that are taking place on the court. And like, um, I think JJ Reddick, ironically, for the purpose of this question, who's your favorite NBA game commenter? Uh, right now, it's JJ Reddick. I feel like when I'm watching a broadcast on ESPN, and it's kind of a good vibe because, you know, JJ and, and Richard Jefferson kind of are bouncing off each other, uh, you know, making jokes and having fun. But at the same time, like you can tell JJ's intently watching the game, trying to pick up on the little chess, uh, chess pieces that are moving around. And he's putting that information out there. He's not the only one, but he's my personal favorite. I think he's doing an amazing job and, uh, is adding a lot to that experience. But in general, I think like, that's my goal with this show. I'm not the only guy who does this. There's a lot of guys that have shows that kind of have a similar vibe in the sense that like, this is what makes the game fun. What makes the game fun is getting into the weeds of how a basketball team is winning or losing, how a player is succeeding or failing. That to me is is what makes the game fascinating. And like basketball is unique in the sense that like the best team doesn't always win. And you can outperform your talent by you know continuity, chemistry, execution, all those little things can make a big difference and I think that it's important to translate that experience to the fan. One last question. What happened to the Warriors this weekend? So the Warriors lost uh, their second game to Cleveland at home on Saturday, and then they turned around and had to play the next night against the Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves beat them too. And in both games, they were kind of it kind of looked like they were struggling to hang, uh, especially in terms of perimeter quickness. There's a, a very consistent theme that I've talked about with the Warriors ever since last year's playoff run is like the Lakers kind of put together a book for how to slow down the Warrior offense, which is like if you have legitimate rim protection, you straight up ignore the the, the loony Draymond front court and, in terms of scoring ability, and you basically uh, tell all your perimeter players to top lock, meaning like you deny them the use of the screen and force them to backdoor cut into your rim protection. And then your rim protectors basically have to ride the yo-yo of kind of like seeing where their perimeter defenders are. And if they're caught on a screen, they need to show high and offer a contest. And if not, if the, if the defender is kind of lingering behind and staying attached, they'll sag back and, and, and constantly have to go up and down to the level of the screen and back. Like if you've got athletic centers that can protect the rim and get up and down in your drop coverages and your perimeter defenders are engaged and deny the use of screens, you can completely stifle the Warrior defense. And there's a very specific reason why, which we'll get into in a second, but you saw that with the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, uh, front court alongside their perimeter defenders. That third quarter run that they went on in that Warriors game on on Saturday night, great example of this. Like when they are just flying around on the perimeter, they are very very uh, difficult to get open against. Uh, you got Karis Levert could be impossible to screen sometimes. Max Struess is flying around making extra efforts. Even their guards, even Garland and Mitchell, are really trying on the defensive end. And then Minnesota is like a way better version of what Cleveland brings to the table. They've got Rudy Gobert, who's a better rim protector than Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, and they have way better perimeter defenders than Cleveland. They've got Jaden McDaniels, who's the best perimeter defender in the league, in my opinion. Anthony Edwards, who's capable of that, although he doesn't always give that level of effort. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyle Anderson, you guys get the point. Like They just are like a, kind of like a, a, a more dramatic version of that. And so how do you beat that if you're the Warriors? Because the Warriors are still a good team. This is a matchup thing. So how do the Warriors solve that specific matchup issue? Well, once again, just like in the Lakers series, 
there was nothing in terms of offensive production outside of Steph, right? In the in that playoff series, they couldn't get anything out of Clay, they couldn't get anything out of Jordan Poole, and they didn't use Andrew Wiggins enough, and it ended up being an issue, right? Same kind of thing. In this weekend, they got 30 points per game out of Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Chris Paul. That's not enough. You need like again, Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on the title team in that 17, 18 point per game area. Clay Thompson needs to be up around 18 points per game in order for him to provide the offensive punch that's necessary. Chris Paul, you need to be getting 10 to 12 points per game out of him. That you, that trio needs to be giving you about 50 points a game in order for it, like like in rhythm those like whether it's Wiggins attacking closeouts, knocking down spot up threes, occasionally posting up a mismatch, Clay Thompson creating shots in his off uh, off ball action and his on ball action, Chris Paul making shots in pick and roll and beating switches in pick and roll, like those guys have to provide offensive punch. It can't just be Steph. And once again, you get thirty four points per game out of Steph this weekend, but the offense is completely inept. I think they were at like a one oh six or one oh seven offensive rating in the two games. And so at the end of the day. It's not so much that uh, they can't beat teams like this. It's just in in order to beat this type of matchup, the heavy perimeter defense with rim protection type of team that's uh, that's kind of denying them their screening actions, they've got to get static half-court shot creation out of Wiggins, Clay, and Chris Paul to have any chance to hang offensively. Again, like it's not like they're getting just utterly blown out in these games. They just don't have enough firepower to hang against this specific type of matchup right now. But this is a problem that can be fixed within the locker room. Andrew Wiggins is just a shell of himself this year. Andrew, like, For lack of a better way to describe it, basically since he got back from his personal absence last year, he hasn't been the same guy. That's been a problem. Going back to the Clippers topic from the beginning of the show, when you're not, when your best players aren't playing well, it's hard to win. Your best player is playing great, but the guy who is your second best player on the championship team is not playing well right now. That's a significant hurdle that you have to to overcome. And then again, Chris and Clay, they gotta give you offensive firepower. That's literally what they collect paychecks for. You gotta get more out of them. Um, I'm not worried about the Warriors in the big picture. I think this, again, is matchup-related, and I do think they have the firepower to handle this in the in the locker room. They just got to get better play out of those guys. All right, that's all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys. We'll be back tomorrow with power rankings, maybe a game reaction or two, depending on how the night's, uh, night goes. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you then. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, 
it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.